Good morning, everybody. Uh, wherever you are, I know you're not here, but wherever you are, I wish you a good morning, and I'm so glad you're joining us online. Um, our band just rocked it, and I know it's weird to think about, but this room is uh, super empty, and y'all are usually here with us uh, and giving energy back and forth. It's like a conversation in the room, and that's missing, but you know what wasn't missing in the room right now was the Holy Spirit. Oh my gosh, it, the Holy Spirit was moving, and, and the only like great thing about y'all not being here is that I had room to dance. I was like <laughs> walking around, dancing with the, the songs, and, and I hope wherever you were, you're dancing too, in your pajamas, singing like you're in the shower, um, whatever it takes uh, to get us through this season that we're in. Welcome to the Stories special online worship service, the COVID-19 edition of Story Houston Worship. I'm Eric, I'm the lead pastor here at The Story, and it's really, um, it's good to see you in this way, even though I can't see your faces, I know you're here. And I hope that you're finding some comfort in this um, method of worshiping, because um, this, is a, this is a strange season we're entering into, and I think we're just getting started into it, and, and I don't know how much longer we're going to have to worship this way, but however long it takes to make sure everybody's safe um, before we start gathering together again, we're going to try to create as many ways as possible for you to stay connected, to stay enthusiastic, to stay encouraged, and filled with, um, with good things during this season. And so we've created a special page on our website called uh, thestory.church slash updates, where you can get constant updates about things we're doing here at The Story. Our team is sort of shifting gears away from, you know, Sunday morning heavy to week to week, like how are we going to make sure folks are staying fed? So we're planning Bible studies online and prayer meetings and um, you know, resources like um, folks to run errands for you. If you're part of that vulnerable population that has um, immunodeficiencies or uh, you're an older person or a pregnant woman, like um, don't go through this alone. Don't just self-isolate. Let people know what your needs are so your church can be your church and come to your aid. And we've got people that are ready to do that. We have a, a COVID-19 task force that's already up and running. And so you can find out all about that at thestory.church slash updates. Also, um, since we're not gathering on Sundays, at least for the next two Sundays, today and next Sunday, and probably beyond that, if I'm being honest, um, we've got to find ways to continue supporting this church financially and um, without passing the baskets. That's hard to do when y'all are all at home. So we have um, different ways you can do that. The story.church slash donate is one way to do that online. Or if it's easier, just text your name and the amount you'd like to donate to support the story's mission right now to the number on the screen. I feel a little like a televangelist right now, like asking for a private jet. Y'all know it's not about that, right? Okay, good. As long as we're on the same page, this is about supporting the story's ministries and mission to inspire non-religious Houstonians to follow Jesus. Whether or not we're packing this room out on Sunday mornings, um, we're here to, to share the gospel and hope of Jesus Christ. And so you can help us doing that um, by, by um, sharing financially with this community. So thank you. Um, thank you beforehand. Thank you for doing that. Um, I think Today's message is going to be really important. I wrote it specifically for this occasion. We're not in a series or anything. This is just a one-off sermon. This is just me talking to you about the situation that we're in. Because, uh, man, it feels like it's been seven years and not seven days since we last got together, right? I mean, we've had seven years' worth of bad news and awful headlines um, and it just keeps coming, and the numbers keep rising, and, and by all accounts, they'll continue to rise. And so it is a scary time. It is a time we're all um, tempted to succumb to fear. And, you know, fear is a big theme throughout Scripture. Cover to cover, the Bible is a story about the struggle between faith and fear. 
all the heroes you've ever heard of, even if you've never read the Bible for yourself, you've heard of people who are Bible heroes from Moses and Abraham to um, Jonah and the whale um, to New Testament figures like Paul and Peter. They were all struggling deeply with fears. They had real fear that they had to overcome in order to become the Bible heroes that we know them as today, but it wasn't easy. They had to overcome fear first. And the most common analogy in Scripture to, to um, really illustrate fear's power is the image of a storm. And sometimes the storm is a literal storm, and sometimes it's a metaphorical one, but the Bible uses the storm um, image to, to evoke feelings of fear and to remind us of the times we've been pressed and afraid. Now, COVID-19 is not a literal storm, but it acts like one in us, right? Because we didn't see it coming. It was a little bit of a surprise. It is an unknown. It is powerful. It's causing death and destruction. And we don't know when it's going to end. And all of those things are true about the mega storms that we, you know, have weather-wise. And so the, the question for us is, in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of this anxiety that we're facing every day, when we scroll through social media or watch the news or talk to our friends about what's going on or go to HEB and try to find toilet paper, all the chaotic things, how do we live? How do we respond to what's happening in the world around us as disciples of Jesus, how should our response be different from the typical human response in the midst of this storm that we're in? One of the great stories in the Bible about a storm and the fear that it causes is in Mark chapter 4. So I'm going to be reading this. It's going to be on the screen um, as well beside me, and, and y'all can uh, follow along. This is Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. It says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, obviously this is Jesus talking, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? All right, so... The disciples obviously are terrified, and it's, um, it's one of those stories that you kind of have to put yourself in their shoes to get it, because if you've ever been to the Holy Land, and those of you that went with me recently, you know that that body of water, the Sea of Galilee, really can turn from just this glassy, smooth sea to rough, choppy waters that could, you know, theoretically capsize one of those small wooden boats they used to sail in. And so their fears are founded. It's not like they're being irrationally you know, worried. They're, they're absolutely in their right minds as they're trying to scoop the water out of the boat with their hands, and, you know, they're trying to pray uh, to God, but God is in the boat with them, and God is asleep, and it's this perfect image for us because we've all felt that feeling. Some of you have felt that feeling this week. Like, as many preachers have ever told you, God is with you through the storm, and God is with you when you're afraid. Sometimes when you're afraid, it feels like if God is there, he's asleep. If God is there, he's unresponsive. He's unaware or he doesn't care or something. 
and the fear takes over. And we know, we know exactly what the disciples are going through. We know the feeling very well. And and, uh, some of us are feeling that way right now. And look at what they say to Jesus. They say to him, don't you care? Don't you care that we're drowning? Don't you care if we drown, they say? And um, and, and when they say that, they wake Jesus up. And, And Mark is very specific. It says Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat on the stern on a cushion. So he was asleep and comfortably so. And I think the disciples must have interrupted Jesus's um, REM cycle because, you know, when you get woke up in your REM cycle, you're really cranky. And Jesus seems to be really cranky because he screams, yells, be quiet, peace, be still. And maybe he's screaming that to the wind and the waves and to the disciples. I don't know, but he's wanting peace again. Maybe so he can go back to sleep. And he says to them two questions. Why are you so afraid? And do you still have no faith? And in, in posing these two questions back to back, Jesus is, I think, trying to teach us something. He is, in no uncertain terms, um, making it clear that faith and fear are mutually exclusive. And sometimes in the church, like pastors, will coddle people along. We want to be polite and we want to be understanding and tell folks it's okay to be afraid and and God's with you in your fear and all of that. But Jesus is like, no, guys, fear is a symptom. Fear is symptomatic of a deficiency of faith. Fear and faith do not go together. He says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And you all have heard me ad nauseum if you've been to the story talking about how do not fear is the most common um, phrase repeated in scripture uh, between 300 and 400 times in the Bible. And if it's repeated that many times, we should probably pay attention. It's no other phrase is repeated as often. But when you look closer at it, I think a few things um, should come to mind. So the fact that the Bible repeats, do not be afraid more than 300 times, should tell us that, first of all, there's a lot to be afraid of in the world. There are legitimate fears. And the people who wrote the Bible faced legitimate fears um, throughout their lives. Um, But also, the other thing I think that comes to mind is that Jesus... And and the rest of the Bible says, do not be afraid more than 300 times, but it never says there's nothing to be afraid of. And I hope you hear the difference. Because he could have said, hey, guys, why'd you wake me up? There's nothing to be afraid of. He He says instead, don't be afraid. And those are different things. They they should ring in our ears a little bit differently because, I don't know, um, I'm glad he says, don't be afraid, instead of um, there's nothing to fear. Because I wouldn't trust a Savior who says there's nothing to fear because I know as well as anyone, and you know as well, that there's plenty in this world to be afraid of. There's plenty of fearsome things in this world. But we lie to ourselves. We lie to our kids. We were lied to as kids. Whenever we were scared as children, what did our parents tell us in the middle of the night? There's nothing to be afraid of. And they were lying. You know how we know they were lying is because we grew up and we experienced the fearsome world as it is. And then we had kids. And instead of telling the truth, we lie just like our parents lied. And we tell our kids when they wake up screaming in the middle of the night, there's nothing to be afraid of, sweetie. And why do we lie? We lie so they'll go back to sleep. So we can go back to sleep because they interrupted our REM cycle and we're cranky, right? That's why we lie. So they'll feel safe, even though it's a superficial thing, because if we were honest with our children, what would we tell them when they're afraid? Well, sweetie, (laughs) 
that monster under your bed is the least of your worries. <laughs> um, sweetie, if you only knew what's out there. Uh, <laughs> have you watched the news lately? Do you have any idea how, did you know that on average, a person swallows eight spiders a year while sleeping. <laughs> like, did, did you know how scary it really, if we were honest with our kids, we would say that, but we lie because we want them to feel safe. The truth is there's plenty, plenty to be afraid of in the world. And Jesus never says don't, Jesus never says there's nothing to, to be afraid of. Jesus says just in the face of all there is to fear, don't be afraid. And that's a beautiful thing. Uh, for me, uh, it, the, the list of fears can be probably narrowed down to a three-point list. And uh, it goes in, in this order, most likely birds, and then spiders, and then snakes. But um, most of all, what I fear is some unholy combination of those three. And what I'm talking about is bats. Um, when I look at a bat, I see some kind of unholy concoction, like a combination of a bird, a uh, snake, and a tarantula and they terrify me. Well, um, a few years back when I was in Kansas City, I went into work early in the morning. I was the first one in the office, and I um, put my stuff down in my office chair, and then I went to the, the office bathroom, and I opened the door, and I looked inside, and immediately my eyes were drawn to the sink where there was something disgusting in the sink. And I will tell you that my first thought was that somebody played a prank on us, and uh, pardon me, but uh, defecated in the sink, um, and I was disgusted. Uh, and in order to try and wash the, the mess down the sink without having to touch it with anything, I just turned, I reached in, and I turned the faucet a little bit on so it would just wash the stuff down. Well, the minute the water hit the thing in the sink, um, it turned its head up at me <laughs> and showed its fangs and expanded its wing. It was not what I thought it was. It was, in fact, a bat. And the bat screamed at me. I, I won't make the sound because I know you're watching online and I don't want to startle you. But the bat screamed at me, and I immediately closed the door, and I caught my breath again, and I realized um, this was going to have to be my moment. I was going to have to man up. <laughs> I was going to have to take care of this problem before the women that I worked with came in, and they had to take care of it, because I didn't. And so I decided uh, it was my time to gird up my loins, to take a breath, and what I did is I grabbed a piece of paper and a marker, and I made a sign that said, Warning, there is a bat in the sink, and I taped it to the door, and then I went to work at Starbucks for the rest of the day. That's how brave I am. There's plenty to fear in this world, bats included. Jesus never says there's not. Jesus says, in the face of all there is to fear, don't be afraid. Now, this week has been really interesting when it comes to fear um, because uh, there's been a little bit of dialogue back and forth on social media between people who uh, are freaked out about this, the, uh, those who are stockpiling uh, the, the hand gel and the toilet paper and th those who think this is the apocalypse. And then on the other extreme, you've got people who are like, this is no big deal. This is, uh, this is nothing. You know, this is not even as bad as the flu. What's everybody freaking out about? And those are like the macho Christians usually, right? What's interesting about the macho Christians is that what I really hear when I, when I hear them isn't a lack of fear. What I hear is extra fear, just disguising itself as this macho bully kind of thing. Um, because um, what they make it sound like is that, um, you know, uh, fear is, is, uh, is silly. Like fear is foolishness. But fear isn't foolishness at a time like this. 
It's not foolishness. It's faithlessness. Faithlessness, not foolishness. Jesus doesn't say that we shouldn't, that, that there's nothing in the world to be afraid of. Jesus says, um, uh, have faith. And faith is the choice to be courageous even in the midst of the storm. So by the time um, the disciples went to Jesus with their fear, with their concern, you can hear the tone in their voice. They're not even like praying to him. They're not saying, oh, Jesus, we love you, and we know you're sleeping, sorry to wake you. Can you give us a hand? They go to Jesus and say, don't you care? And that's what fear does to us. At a time like this, fear will change your relationship with God from one that is trusting and relational to one that is accusatory and transactional. Don't you even care what we're going through? And when fear takes hold, that's what happens. And when Jesus wakes up and he stops the storm, there was this complete calm, the Bible story says. And, and uh, the word that in the original text that um, Mark uses for complete calm was this word in Greek called megale. So wherever you are right now, just say megale. Practice it, megale. Megale is a Greek word that's very common, and it means super. And so what, what Mark actually says is that after Jesus calmed the storm, it was super calm. And Mark actually uses that same word three times in just a few verses in the same story. So first he's like, there was this storm, it was super big. This super storm was coming. And then Jesus calmed the storm and it was super calm. And then uh, it says, after Jesus calmed the storm, the disciples were terrified is the word in the text, but what it really means is super amazed. Super storm, super calm, super amazed. And when I read this part of the story, it's no surprise to me that Peter is the one who wrote it. So y'all might know this by now, but Peter and Mark were cohorts. Mark was Peter's scribe. So the apostle Simon Peter actually wrote the gospel of Mark. And if you know Peter, you know he was, um, well, impetuous, impulsive, quick to speak, and he's exactly the kind of guy who tells a story with three supers in it. A super storm, and it was super calm, and we were super amazed. And you can hear Peter's voice in it as he describes what Jesus is trying to, you know, teach the disciples through this. Even though the storm was really big, the calm that followed it was even bigger. And even though the calm that followed it was even bigger, the amazement, the awe, the wonder, the worship that followed the calm was even bigger than the calm and the storm. And that's what happens when your fear turns to faith. At a moment like this, with COVID-19 bearing down upon us, when everybody's tempted to be afraid, when your fear turns to faith, the calm that follows the storm is even bigger than the storm you were in, and the worship that follows the calm is even bigger than them both but we have to know that moment and seize it when it comes because it's a choice we all have to make. I uh, remember a few years back, I went to a, a haunted house. I love going to haunted houses uh, around Halloween, you know, and this one's called the Edge of Hell. And I went there with a group of friends and <laughs> as a pastor going to the Edge of Hell, it was all funny and we had a good time with it. One of the people that went with us was named Andy and Andy was a little bit older than me. She was a kindergarten teacher. She stood about 4'10". So diminutive in stature, but, you know, she could hold a room, as uh, you might expect from a kindergarten teacher. And she had three teenage sons that went with her. And Andy was terrified, big scared, right? Megale scared. And the whole time we're waiting in line, she's like, I'm out, I'm leaving. And her teenage sons are like, Mom, we came here for you. We're going to be with you the whole time. Don't worry. We won't leave you alone in there. Well, we got in there, and guess what happened? They left her alone. 
and all throughout the haunted house, I don't know if you've ever been in one of these, but there's screams, there's shouts, there's shrieks, there's jump scares, there's thunderclaps, there's strobe lights. It's really hard to pay attention to what's going on around you. And so we lost track of Andy, our four foot, 10 inch uh, kindergarten teacher, sweet, gentle soul of a friend. We lost her and her screams, her cries for help grew more and more faint the farther we got into the edge of hell. And then we got to the end of it and, and in the exit, we stood there, all of us except Andy waiting for her but she never came, and I got worried. I looked around for her sons to see if they were gonna go back and look for their mom, who they abandoned. They were in the arcade playing games, of course, and so I decided it was on me. It was on me to do this, and so I went in the exit and worked my way back through. I could hear her screaming at first, but then the screaming stopped, and I got really worried. I was thinking, I'm gonna have to drag her out by her hair or something <laughs> to get her out of this place. And then I kept walking, and between thunderclaps and jump scares, I heard her voice, but she wasn't screaming anymore. She was just talking. It was just her voice, conversationally speaking. And I knew it when I heard it, so I followed it, and I followed it into the center room, right? The scariest part of the edge of hell, which is where you know the Grim Reaper chased you around and the, the demon figures chased you. And, and the Grim Reaper was especially scary. He was like six foot 10 and had the long, scary scream mask face with blood on it and, and, and you know, just super creepy. And when I turned the corner into that room, there Andy was, looking up two feet at the Grim Reaper, having a conversation with him. <laughs> she was just talking to him, and he was nodding his head back and forth and shaking his head. And, and I, I looked at them talking until um, the Grim Reaper lifted up his bony long finger and pointed at this hidden door in the wall. And then I said, Andy, what are you doing here? And she said, I just got a little lost, so I decided to stop and ask for directions. <laughs> Andy, um, what happened? And she said, I was terrified, but then I just decided I'm not going to be afraid anymore. And so I started talking to him. And she looked up at the Grim Reaper and she said, so it's this way? And he nodded his head again, nice and slow. And we headed out. There was this moment that Andy faced inside of the edge of hell of all places when she had to decide to no longer be afraid. Even though the circumstances weren't any better around her, it was still the same haunted house that was making her scream before. She decided not to keep screaming. She decided instead to calm down, to trust, to let peace come to her. And I know that's a kind of a silly example, but it's a choice that we all get to make. It's a choice we all get to make at a time like this, facing a storm like the one that we are in. There's going to be a turning point for you, whether or not you believe me yet, because I know this storm is still new and unpredictable, but there's going to be a turning point sooner than you think where you will get to choose to be faithful instead of fearful, where you will get to decide to no longer be held captive by anxiety, to no longer be a slave to your fear, but instead to break free and just to trust and let the peace of God come into your life. And the peace that follows the storm, I promise, will be bigger than the storm you were in. And the sense of worship and awe you have before Jesus will be even bigger than the peace that came over you. There will be a turning point moment when you will decide you're no longer afraid. It's like, I don't know, like the George McFly moment. 
Remember Back to the Future when uh, George McFly was afraid of Biff, the bully, and he decided not to be afraid of Biff anymore, just in an instant. And that sense of just courage that came over him, it, it led him into the parking lot where uh, Biff was, and it led him to sock Biff in the face, and the whole movie turned around. At that point, the girl that he liked stopped liking the boy that she liked, and she liked George now instead, which was really good because the boy that she liked happened to be their son <laughs> and all that. So uh, if you've not seen the movie, spoiler alert there. But that's the George McFly moment. It's the moment I face every Sunday, especially today, because this is nerve-wracking, preaching to an empty room. But every Sunday, even when y'all are here, I stand backstage there, and I'm full of fear, stage fright. And I, I have a moment where I guess I could run away, but every time I choose to take that one step toward faith, that one step toward the calling Jesus has for me. And so that moment exists for all of us. Will we continue to be wrapped up in fear, or will we trust Jesus unafraid? Now, I think that moment happened for Peter who wrote the Gospel of Mark and who was in the boat the night all the disciples were afraid. And the reason I know this happened is because Peter was a fearful guy. He was jumpy, like some of us, right? He was nervous, and he got afraid. Like the night of Jesus' trial, the most crucial night of his life with Jesus, Jesus is on trial, and he's about to be crucified, and Peter freaks out. He doesn't want to end up on a cross like Jesus, and so he lies about knowing Jesus. He runs away like a child, and he cries about it. That's not the end of Peter's story. By the end of his story, he has become the preeminent leader of the Christian movement. Peter has become the leader Jesus knew that he was, the courageous leader to lead the church into a new era, even though the Roman government and the, the emperors and even some of the religious leaders were chasing them down, killing them, feeding them to lions, and, and causing them all kinds of fear and distress, Peter led with courage. And when Peter was arrested the final time by Emperor Nero, and Nero, the crazy emperor of Rome said, crucify him. Peter said, that's fine, Nero. But hey, could you not crucify me like y'all crucified Jesus because I don't deserve to die like he died? Could you, could you instead crucify me upside down? That's the kind of courage that grew in Peter. Fearless faith that set Peter free. No matter what happened to him in this body, on this earth, he was free and fearless in the face of the storm. I know many of you are quietly suffering deep anxiety, uncertainty, and fear about what this storm called COVID-19 is going to bring us, what it's going to mean. Nobody really knows. But when you're following Jesus, it doesn't really matter what the circumstances are around you. The choice is always there to choose faith in him over fear of what's going on around you. And when you choose in that moment, that turning point moment, faith instead of fear, in that moment you're free. Free to love your neighbor, free to take care of the people around you, free to watch the news and not hyperventilate. You're free because the calm Jesus brings is bigger than the storm you've walked through. Because the worship you feel and, and express toward Jesus is even bigger and stronger than the, the calm Jesus gave you. Listen, you're going to face that choice even right now to choose faith over fear. And I pray that you will. Jesus never is going to lie to you. He is never going to tell you that there is nothing to be afraid of. 
He's just going to tell you, you don't have to fear it. You don't have to be afraid. Storms, they come and go. Storms like this one have come and they have gone. And he is still on the throne. So you don't have to be afraid. Choose faith. Fearless, free faith in Jesus, the one who sits on the throne yesterday, today, and forever.